Welcome to the Move, Eat and Re-Energize podcast show, where we sit down and have conversations with interesting and inspiring legends about mindset, movement, nutrition, and bringing more energy into your day. In today's episode, I have Darren Maroney and Greg Leach back on the show. So this will be Darren's third episode. He was on episode one, three, and seven, and this is Greg's second episode. He was on episode eight. Today, Darren takes over the interview chair and allows Greg and I to share our stories about our depression that we've had and that we still battle with now. The things that have worked, how bad it actually got, what we do now to manage it and make sure we stay on top of it, and so much more. It's called the Black Dog episode because we wanted to keep the conversation going about depression and hope people not only ask, like, are you okay, but also ask things like, what can I do to help you and what do you need from me right now to help you? So I hope you enjoy it. Hope you share this with people who you think will need it, and let's get into it. So, uh, do we want to cover the the stuff about exercise and depression, or do we want yeah, to start I reckon. There? Yeah, I reckon. Start with well, that. Just first with you, Chris, with your rib injury and everything, yep. and obviously, you know, um, adding the multiplier of giving up coffee into the equation as well. You know, you know, obviously you were training for your Spartan Beast and then you're, you injured your ribs. Like, how did that impact on you? Um, so at the, at the time when this all went down, the other thing that some people know but some people don't know is that from way back in the day, I accumulated a heap of debt from being an alcoholic. And when I married Kat, she took it on board and was okay with it because I was dealing with it like the debt club, um the debt people were like the um, counselor, whatever they were. I got dumb brain with that one. But anyway, they put it into a package and I just send the money through like paying off the loan. And then earlier this year, we found out that the house they took at the time when I was drunk a lot, they took my house off me because I wasn't paying the bills. I was using it for alcohol. Um, Commonwealth Bank come back five years down the track and said, you still owe us 50 grand. So it went from something that was really manageable to not. And then we had to decide that we were going to declare bankruptcy on my personal debt because it just wasn't going anywhere and we weren't going to get rid of it for like for another 10 years. So that means with another baby coming and Theo and Kat, it's putting them back 10 years until I could even start saving for a house. Like I'd get rid of the debt and then we'd have to start saving for the house then. So that happened all around this time. Like it was, uh, it was meant to happen in July. I got dragged out to August in the end and still sort of didn't happen until mid-August. Like it only happened about two weeks ago. Um, so during that time, like I was using training from the beginning of this year from when this stuff happened to um, getting it sorted. Training was the thing that was keeping me sort of level, level-headed and I was – in saying that, I was using coffee as well to keep my training up, my work up, and look after Theo. So that was the three things. There was lots of things going out and not a lot of stuff coming in. I wasn't really resting enough. And then, how was that? How was that impacting? Like, because you were using the HIV stuff as well, aren't you? Yeah. So I just flatlined. My HIV just stayed the same. Like I was getting more work in my heart, like in the certain heart rate zones that I train in. I was able to do more work, but my HIV wasn't getting a whole lot better. The percentage score with the new the new Morpheus thing gives you like percentages on readiness and stuff, but you still want the HRV to show improvement over time. 
And I really like, since I had it, since I've got it, it hasn't made a massive improvement when it should be bumping up like two to three points on average every month at a minimum. Um, mine didn't move. It just sort of balanced at that high 70s, low 80s the whole time. So I started sort of thinking, okay, what's going on? I need to maybe start working on my sleep and stuff. And I was more stress was building up on the outside with the funerals that we've had. We had one in January, which was dad's mum. Before, like in September, we had dad's sister and then we had dad's Down syndrome brother two weeks ago. So all this kind of stuff happened as well. And they say it comes in threes. Yeah, and it's just everything just sort of hit in one massive go. And then, yeah, I jacked my, sprained my ribs, which we still haven't figured out how I did it. And then I figured at the time would be the best time if I was going to quit coffee because I was having up to like eight standard cups a day on average. And then I, so because I was taking painkillers for my back, like um, Nurofen and some other stuff just to help with the back pain so I can move. I thought, well, if I'm going to quit coffee, I'm not going to get crazy headaches. I'm going to do it now so I can use the painkillers as a double whammy kind of thing. And yeah, they didn't help at all. <laughs> it, was the hard, it was hard. And then with that, a big hit of depression hit me the first week. I just felt super down because I didn't have that buzz from coffee, as nearly everyone does, I think, when they quit coffee. And but that sort of brought in all the stuff and going through the bankruptcy, I was looking through all my history of drinking again because I had to write it all into the form. So that, yeah, that brought up heaps of stuff and I didn't have my outlet of training anymore. So I had to- Was some of that stuff unresolved too? Like, Yeah, because I just pushed it aside. I, I still like, if I get a phone call from a number, from a debt, someone trying to chase money from what I was happening when I was drinking, if I get a num- phone call from a number that I don't know, I don't answer and I literally just flip my phone over and walk away. And then my phone's consistently on silent all the time because it used to just cause me stress. And it's sort of, yeah, like all that stuff back then, I didn't, I faced it when I went to all the psychologists and I stopped drinking because I was either like, they just said, go down the antidepressant line or go down the um, psychologist line. And I went the psychologist way because from advice from my dad, because he went down the antidepressant line. And it's sort of back then it was Prozac in a bad version, not a bad version, but it sort of screwed with their brain patterns a bit back then. Oh, you need so, to, you, you need to be taken home as Prozac, which was just a tub of ice cream, isn't it? Yeah, isn't that, <laughs> pretty isn't much. That what he, isn't that what he, he he made his own Prozac, which was basically ice cream? That's probably like pizza for me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, so, like, um, to be classified as an alcoholic, like how? Like, do you have to be drinking every day? Like this, I, I guess this is the, the other thing with those sort of classifications is like, you know, do you have to be at a certain threshold to be classified an alcoholic? Because um, I asked her when I went to the psychologist, because I classed myself as an alcoholic because I feel like I didn't have any control anymore on it. So were you drinking to... every day or? Nah. So it was like, I called them the big three that sort of went into the big four eventually. It was the big three in Aubrey is um, Wednesday night, uni night, and then Saturday, Sunday night are the big three in Aubrey. And then it went to Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then it went to Wednesday, um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's when I – that's by that stage. And in thinking about it, like 
I'd buy two slabs for the weekend and it would be gone before the weekend's over and then I'd still spend money when I was out. So it was like a really big binge drinking session. I'd go really, really hard and spend shitloads of money and drink a lot and then I'd pretend to be healthy and fit during the week and then I'd do it again. So were you playing sport or were you doing... Yeah, I was playing soccer. So at the time... I just started getting into training heaps and I was training super hard. Like I started with CrossFit. That was pretty much, oh, I started with bodybuilding and then started doing CrossFit because it was more functional as they say. And it helps <laughs> with CrossFit helps with every sport. So I started doing CrossFit to help with soccer. Hey, just to speak about CrossFit, I don't know if you saw the videos that went around with, with CrossFit had um, branched out into self-defense. There was a video <laughs> floating around of these guys t- um, trying to convince people that, um, CrossFit training actually helps you with self-defense, and they were, it was. I, I didn't watch many of the videos because I, I just couldn't fathom how you could think that doing cleans or squats or anything was going to make you better at defending yourself, unless it made you faster so you could run away. Yeah, well, I guess like I remember Glasman saying eventually. I, I remember saying somewhere because people kept asking like, "How does this help?" It's not transferable to soccer, so to say, and he says it's GPP. And that was pretty much the thing he said, general physical preparedness. So you're getting your base, that'll help with everything else. And I'm like, no, whatever. But yeah, so I did, um, what was I up to? Oh, you're playing soccer and you just discovered, yeah. um, you moved from bodybuilding to CrossFit. Yeah, so really high intensity training, really, really hard drinking, not a lot of sleep, working in the, the, the steel warehouse that I was managing. And yeah, just burning the candle at both ends at the time. So I was... I did end up playing first grade soccer in that time. Not a lot of it because I was always drunk. So the coach didn't really like me. Even though when I did play drunk, I got best on ground because if both gets done by people watching the game who aren't part of the club, they would drop me because I was always hungover or smelt or whatever of alcohol or whatever. Just think they give you best on ground so you can keep drinking. Yeah, that's what was, that was my my theory was like I played better when I was drunk because I didn't think too much. It was like it was easy to get in the zone because I was pretty much brain dead <laughs> on the field. But um, so it's amazing, like when you think about that that the amount of punishment that your body can take. Like you were obviously drinking, and you know, um, and then you you factor playing sport and training into the equation that you know you're able to. How long did were you able to sustain that for like how many years were you? Cause I didn't start drinking early when I turned 18. It took me till I was like 23. I did start drinking hard, which is when I broke up with the girlfriend at the time. And I went hard from 23 to about, what are we now? Now 18, 28 to five years of hitting it super hard. You were committed. Yeah. And to give everyone an idea, the debt I racked up in that time at the peak of it was $180,000. Oh. So that was with the house in it as well. So when they took the house, that was included in it, but it was like a... Um, so so, so that, you, had a, you had a mortgage that you were unable to pay off or... Yeah, I got ahead. I got the mortgage early in life when they did that really good uh, first home buyers thing, which is awesome. Right. For some people, and then <laughs> I did 
did that and then got really far ahead and then I got into this drinking thing and I started take redrawing on the house and then just stopped paying ah. it all together. And it got to the point where there was a sign on the door where I got the eviction notice. Wow. Was that changed the locks and everything? No, almost. That's when I went to the debt consultants and which they helped me heaps by taking over all the calls so no one would call me. And then I just talked to them directly. That helped my mindset heaps. It was one person I talked to and not heaps. And that's what I was using. I think I was using drinking, which is like I was using training this year. Back then I was using drinking to blunt the stuff that was going on in my head that I knew it was coming. Shit was getting bad, but I was, I could escape it by going into the drinking. But I guess that gives you a bit of an insight into like, I know you've mentioned before that you do have like an addictive like personality that, you know, you, you mentioned that you use training, uh, training replaced drinking that yeah. you throw yourself into whatever, whatever you're sort of doing it at the time. So, like, do you still find, like, now that it, it's difficult to sort of, um, like, not over-train over because you'd become so um, addicted or committed to it? Yeah. So, the reason I bought into Morpheus, the HRV tracking tool, was to give me a, um, a, a thing, something in my face that is going to tell me to slow down. Yeah. So, and, like, it was working great, but it turns out, like, Sometimes it, all the other stuff is still going on, can still be masked and you can still get through your training. Even though I was training at not a max high intensity, I was doing like the 80 20 rule, which Greg would know about with running long distance yeah. stuff 80, 80% low, 20% high. So most of my training was low, and the high stuff I was doing very rare, which is like even that mini event that I was telling you was about before we started recording, I was running it at like at less than 150 beats a minute and just doing all my the body weight stuff all through that. So all the training intensity was low to try and keep the stress low. Cause I knew there was stuff building up and then, yeah, I guess in the end, the body as usually happens with me is like if too much outside stress and I'm training too much and that whole overflow in the stress cup thing, something bursts. And for me, it was the, yeah, we've got the injury. Like that's my theory on it, that the body was just telling me to stop. And it jacked me up hardcore because we can't figure out how it happened. I just woke up and I was just I could not move. And yeah, and then I was like, okay, now I need to start working on this whole. It's interesting you mentioned about the Morpheus thing that you can only game the system for so long. Yeah, like, yeah. Even though even though you're relying on the feedback from that, you know, you're kind of outsourcing that to an external. Um, yeah. Indicator that. If you if you're going to ignore what's going on internally, then at some stage, you know, there's there's I guess there's a price to be paid, and unfortunately for yourself, it's you know it's manifested itself as a as a rib injury. Yeah, and then the big thing for me is, and it's been like the the same ever since I was a kid. Like I've even talked to my dad about it when I was going through getting over the alcohol stuff. If I don't move and be active, I am the most shittest person to be around because I just turn into the moodiest person. No one wants to be near me. Everyone wonders why I'm so angry and upset at stuff. I get angry if like a, a fly lands on my face or whatever. And like when I get so like through this high stress period, got this rib injury and now this last three weeks, this will be four weeks now. 
even though I've slowly started training again, it jacked up again this week. So I haven't been able to do as much. Trying so, to manage that and all the other stress as well has been super challenging. So with your experience with that, do, do you think your, your, um, you, you, you get less um, affected by it because you know that it's there? Like it, it, have, have your moods been better like because of this experience you've had knowing that you, when you don't move and, and get to exercise that you do get um, angry? Are, are you able to control it better or, or would you still become like a, a raging beast? <laughs> um, no, so yeah, I, for me, yeah, like the training thing is like my leveler, if that makes sense. So if I feel like I can train and build up my work capacity and my endurance, especially the endurance part lately, the more endurance work I do, like low level intensity running or anything, circuit work, that stuff tends to help me lower the amount of shit going in my stress cup so I can handle whatever's going on. Yep. That helps me a lot. So for a lot of people when I coach them, I talk about you have your stress cup and it fills up, then your training goes on top, whatever room you got left in your cup. For me, the training tends to bring down the stress, the amount of stress that goes in there. It lets me just sort through whatever's going on in my head at the but time. Then, but then you've got to be, I guess you've got to be smart about the way that your training goes is because obviously while training is helping reduce that stress, the type of training is depending on the amount of stress that type of training creates will determine whether your stress cup is overflowing or not. So like if you're just doing high intensity work, which a lot of people really love to do because it gets a sweat up and makes them feel like they've done stuff. I mean that, that creates more and more and more stress. Whereas if maybe you know, you're doing lower intensity level activity that that is not placing anywhere near as much stress on the body, but you're still getting a, a training effect. Yeah. And I find that I don't respond as well to heaps of high intensity anymore, especially since the O's come. My response, like recovery from, say, using the heart rate zones, if I do a training session that's five, over five minutes above my 90% max, I feel like it takes me a week until I can do something similar to that again when it used to take me a day or two. Yeah, well, I mean, I've had to accept that. And Greg, would, you know, we're, we're all probably, you know, I mean, how old are you, Chris? Uh, 21. No, 33. Because, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Greg and I are in our 40s. So um, you're in your 40s, aren't you, Greg? <laughs> I'm only just behind you, mate. <laughs> I, I hit 47 at the end of July so um, yeah that, that high intensity stuff like um, the training I did this morning every month they post up like at, at the, the gym they have like little challenges oh yeah the, that they have like a speed challenge or a strength challenge and a stamina challenge like one of them was like just an extended arm hanged hold for as long as you can sometimes if I feel like doing that I might test myself out a bit like this morning I tried the uh, the farmer's walk with 50% of your body weight and yeah, cool. um, I did that just like after a training session which you know I guess you could you could argue whether or not it was a, a smart way to, to do it and you know um Thankfully, it's only monthly. It's not weekly because <laughs> if I walk in there and see it, I'll, you know, I think sometimes too, like it, it, it's hard not to become ego driven with that sort of stuff. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm fit. You know, I might be in my late forties, but you know, I can mix it and then I can't. 
But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's nice every now and then just to, you know, to challenge yourself, do something, just mix it up a little bit. But I know that like my forearms, like I can feel them now that, you know, I, I don't want to be doing any, anything else that's, you know, grip related at all because I won't, I won't be able to, you know, pick up a cup because I'll just be, I'll be shattered. So well, that's kind of like the reason I did the sign up for the Spartan Ultra in the end is to do that one thing that is hella challenging for me for when I did it the first time, Theo come two days later and I used the build up to the Spartan race. And then the Spartan race as itself is like, if I can get through a 10 hour to 12 hour obstacle race on a hill and bright, which is, felt horrific at the time if that was okay then i can get through having a baby in the first year that was my theory for it and then funnily enough when we found out we were pregnant again i was like i need to do another spartan <laughs> just to remind me on like like the the mantra i had when i did the first one was like the one rep one obstacle one um hill at a time that's what i kept saying throughout the first time i did it because it was that challenging to get up those damn hills I had to figure out a way just to keep myself going when there was no one around me for like three hours. But um, that's interesting. Like Greg, what I know, like when you did the Gold Coast Marathon, you know, unfortunately, due to you know, what was it? Um, I can't remember what it was, but you weren't able to complete Stomach it. Issues. Um, what do you that like the mental side of things? Like you know, if we take because you've completed marathons before, like, do you have like a, a mantra or do you have like, cause obviously, you know, um, I've never run that sort of distance. The furthest I've ever run is 10 Ks and, you know, even at 10 Ks, you know, get to about the seven K mark and I'm like, nah, my brain's starting to tell me that now nah, you've had enough, you can stop. But I mean, what got you through, you know, or get you well, through I'm, to the end? I don't, I, I don't necessarily have a mantra per se, I'm a pretty stubborn bastard <laughs> um, and I, I really, I hate, I hate admitting defeat and I hate not finishing something I've started. Um, so when I was up the Gold Coast this year, for me to pull out at the 30K mark, like it, it I was gutted, it, like it, it ripped my guts out. Yeah. Um, but afterwards, reflecting back on it, because I started to get my stomach issues at the 12 kilometer mark. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I pushed through an extra 18 Ks with the stomach issues. I kind of drew some solace from that knowing that, well, I actually saw people that had already pulled out at five, six, seven Ks. Yeah. Um, but I had the mental strength to push through to still try and complete it. I got to the point at 30 Ks where I was actually nauseous and I, I you know, I, I was that unwell that I didn't know what was going to happen. So for my own personal safety, I decided that was it, you know? Um, so then I, you know, looking back on it, I thought, well, if you can run 18 Ks with a crook gut, you know, you've, you've got to take some, some solace out of that and say, well, there is some, some sort of mental toughness there that's got you through. Um, so I think I've, I've looked at that with some like the other events that I've done, you know, when I've done my 100 and 200 kilometer bike rides and that, and you get to points where some days it's been like 36 degrees and you're riding into a 45 kilometer an hour headwind. And it's just like, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta finish this. It's, there's no pulling out and letting the sag wagon come and pick you up and drive you to the finish line. Cause that's not what you signed up to do. Um, so some people might look at it and go, you're an idiot. But, uh, yeah, that's just 
just the way it is, I think. So I don't have a mantra per se. It's just that I don't like saying that I didn't finish something. It's interesting that we've all got our own sort of different approaches. I, I guess that, you know, some of us, like Greg said, we're just flat out stubborn. And, you know, once we've yeah. committed something, we've got to finish it. Where, you know, I guess uh, for other people, their approach is more that, you know, they're, you know, it's it's a moment to moment thing. Yeah, one foot in front of the other works sometimes. Yeah. It's just every every time you take a step further, you're a step closer to the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the only time I really felt like quitting anything was when I did Kokoda. Yeah, right. And I was about halfway through day four. We'd been walking for six hours and. Uh, it was 34 degrees and we stopped for lunch and I just had a meltdown. Um, sat on a bench and started sooking, crying, telling everyone. Oh, no, I didn't tell anyone. Actually, my mate came over and said to me, are you all right? And I said, no, get me out of here. Just call a chopper in. I'm going home. I've had enough. And uh, he knows how to push my buttons. And he said, if you do that right now, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. So... Up I got, and off we went walking again for another six hours to finish the day. How many and days were left after that? Two and a half. Yeah, wow. How were the other two days? I woke up the next morning, and I was the first one out and ready to go. Yeah, right. So it was like breaking through that barrier kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, I had a sleep, I had a shower, I had a belly full of food, said, let's go, let's get this thing finished. You'd obviously bottomed out. as You couldn't have gone any further. Like That's you'd, right. find it, you'd hit the lowest point that that you could. So I guess again, it's that analogy of putting one foot in front of the other. That you know, the only way was up. From yeah, there. it's amazing you say it about the bottom out because that's exactly how I look at it with my depression. Like I had no idea what I was going through, and then one day, my wife mentioned to me that she thought that's what was happening, and I brushed it off. And the next day, I I decided to jump on Facebook and a mate of mine had put a post up about his battle and I thought, shit, that resonates with me. That sounds exactly what I've been going through. So I jumped on Beyond Blue and had a look at the symptoms and everything I read was exactly me and I just sat there and burst into tears. Yeah, I think for me, like, you know, for somebody who's never um, suffered depression, is I think the thing for me is with, you know, I, you know, I think the lowest point I hit was probably a year and a half ago when, you know, I decided to leave um, Virgin where I was working and, and went back to the old gym I was working at. And that was just a complete disaster. Um, and I got myself into a hole uh, that I didn't think I was going to get out of financially, um, you know, relationship wise, like just everything. And I think that's the lowest point I've been, but um like I wasn't like that all the time. And I think that's probably why, like, I guess with depression is that, you know, from what I've read and never personally experienced is that you, you don't improve. Like it's just like day after day after day. Whereas, you know, I wasn't like that all the time. So um, I think we all suffer periods of depression, but I think um, I've never truly suffered it because, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's never mounted or it felt like it was um, like I hit rock bottom, but 
I, I bounced back pretty quick. Because mm. I can imagine, you know, for other people that like, hit rock bottom and it, it's just rock bottom for an extended period rather than you just like um, coming out of it. it. It's funny because having obviously worked at the prison and um, dealt with the mental health side of things, you, you can see guys that have, uh, are really, really in a dark place and I don't ever compare myself where I was to them, but they're very different dark places. Um, so whilst those guys have got some serious issues, people people who are suffering like myself, and I can't speak for Chris, but they can be, they're, they're still fairly serious issues, but they're different issues. Yeah. Um, and people still get into some really shitty dark places and not knowing how to get out of them is, is the scary part. But also yes. too, I think, um, and the recurring theme that comes up with, um, I think a lot of it is just um, talking to somebody about it. Like not like you don't have to um, bear this thing on your own. Like I think, you know, a lot of the unfortunately the male ego you know, you've got to carry on. You've got to be this this brave, stoic figure that just, you know, bears it all and and has got to push through it on on their own. And I think, um, yeah, like I guess not being afraid to to reach out and talk to somebody about it, which is why, you know, I've mentioned before in previous talks that we've had why I'm, I'm, that are you okay stuff is something that um, I think is a is a fantastic initiative that. You know, if that question was asked more often, um, you know, that a lot of people would be, you know, maybe hopefully inclined to talk about it and get some get some help and not suffer, you know, alone. Yeah. The bit, like, the IOK thing is super cool, but I think that, like, the one of the best things that was, like, Kat has always done for me is always been like, what do you need from me right now? Whenever I get into whatever it is I'm into. And that for me has been the, a really, really good thing. Cause sometimes it will be, oh, I need you to take Theo for half a day or, um, massage my feet or <laughs> some just random things. But a lot of times it's just like, just listen. And then you, being going able to go up to someone when you know they might be going through whatever it is they're going through. Like, are you okay to lead it off and then go, what do you need from me? Like, how can I help you? Because then sometimes they don't want to be fixed because sometimes it can't be fixed. And then a lot of times you just want to be able to talk it out or even just even sit in silence in a room. Like I'd done that with my old man once when we just sat in silence in a room for about two hours. Didn't actually say anything. We just sat there. Oh, that, that was a dinner table at our place. <laughs> 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 I mean, for both of you, has obviously exercise been a, a um, been an important part of, um, obviously dealing with it, because obviously, you know, this. I guess that you. you I guess once you have depression, you not you can't be cured of it. It, it. This is something that you're going to have to um, deal with for the rest of your life, I suppose. Yeah, 
No, I'll, I'll let you Greg go first, but it definitely has with me. The exercise oh, yeah. is huge. Yeah, I mean, when, when I... F- and this is all in hindsight, but obviously... <laughs> yeah. when, when I when I realised that I first had my first instance with depression, that's when I was at my biggest. So um, I was not living a healthy lifestyle at all. Um, so I can't say exercise had played any part in it. And it was, it was only brief. Uh, then I found it because I was made redundant. Then I found a new job pretty quickly. So I was moving into that and, you know, the, the hype around getting a new job and learning stuff and meeting new people and all that kind of pushed everything to the, to the background. So um, it held it off for a little while. Whilst I was at that new job, then I started to um, change my life um, started obviously working out, changed my, my, my diet, etc., and dropped 60 kilos over the course of 12 months. Um, but after I was made redundant from there, it kind of things started to unravel a little bit. So I wasn't as big with the exercise, etc. Even though I was still running, um, I wasn't doing the five, six days a week Um started to put a little bit of weight back on, but then, then obviously started to um, have some dark moments. And then when I finally realized what was going on, I had to, to look back and think, well, hang on, when was I at my best? And that's when I was actually doing a, a lot of the exercise. Yeah. Um, so that's when I've, you know, I've tried to, I'm, I'm still, I'm still not where I want to be. Um, whether fitness-wise or weight-wise, but it's still trying to work it out around everything that I need to fit into my life. Now, obviously, I've got four active kids now, whereas six, seven years ago, I didn't have. I had four kids, but two of them were very little. Um, So I had more time to kind of fit things in. But, um, yeah, it's still just getting that back to, to where I need it to be and trying to... I'm not using it as the answer or you know, the wonder drug per se, because I hate when you see these memes that come out and say, oh, exercise is the um, cheapest antidepressant going around. Well, yeah, it works for like 40 minutes. When the endorphins are gone, you're still a miserable git. Um, but then you still got to get yourself to the exercise. Like if... That's right. If you're, if mm. you're in, you know, if you're in a, a, a dark place and you can't get out of bed or you can't, you know put your shoes on the, to go out the door, then exercise is, is not much bloody good to you. That's no. Right. And that's where the, like the, the antidepressants and psychologists and things is like first line. I reckon get that in, start feeling good. Cause they'll plant the seed of things to do anyway. Yeah. You hear it from someone else. It makes you go, Oh yeah, I should do that. Even though you already know you should. Yeah. So yeah, it's, um, I do use it to help, but it's not the be-all and end-all for me. As in exercise? Yeah. Yeah. Like I know for me, my thing is like if I know I exercise, I'm going to have a good day. Like everything sort of lines up with that, which is kind of like the – what's that word? When you – if you have a really, really like you miss a day and you have a horrendous day, I can't. There's a little term they got for it for people who are obsessed with training, but um, I'm sort of on the fringe of that. Where in the sense, well, I'm not pushing myself extremely hard. I know I've got to balance my training and make sure I don't go stupid. 
but I just tend to have much better days and level, especially now I'm giving up coffee, um, a level mood across the day, don't have big fluctuations and I can tend to be more productive at the same time, which tends to make me feel better in myself anyway. Well, I've noticed that just because, you know, I'm on your email list, so I'm getting emails every day and I look at the length of some of those emails and I think, how how do you come up with that? stuff because i'd be sitting looking at a screen with a flashing cursor i reckon like um it amazes me like people who can send emails every day that you you're able to come up with topics that you can that you can write about every day like that was always like um one of the things like you know when 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 you decide that you're gonna you know be a trainer and that sort of stuff and you you create a website and stuff and then you've got to got to try and somehow think well how am i going to come up with content like just that that side of it as well which um you know i guess is a stress on its own well you could sort of you might have been able to tell like the the three last three weeks probably four weeks i don't know if you could tell in the writing but it was hard to get out stuff in those emails because yeah. i wasn't able to train to get that spark of creativity or anything and usually in training is when questions from people what people have asked me I popped in my head and I could just write it on a whiteboard and that's just how I tend to write the emails but yeah so those like they're three weeks I've given up coffee so there goes my mental juice and then <laughs> no they, they're unable to train as well I was like at, at one stage I come down at four o'clock and I still hadn't written anything by 5 30 <laughs> and I ended up funnily enough going on the social media to get my inspiration and I saw a stupid meme and that got me going. Oh, look, you know, it doesn't take much to find um, stupidity on social media. <laughs> you, only have to, you only have to open your face, Facebook and, and scroll maybe once or twice or you might be lucky enough that as soon as it opens, there it is front and centre. <laughs> maybe oh. it'd be your dad joke Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's one thing with social media that does my head in. It's like even even when it comes to all these big fitness magazines and, you know, the big celebrity PTs, all the crap that they put out in order, which is purely just clickbait about, you know, do these five exercises to torture your belly fat and how to get your, your thigh gap and all this bullshit and the amount of crap that that causes for us guys out in the front line because people believe it and then I've got to answer the questions surrounding it just does my head in. Yeah. And like, like Darren, like that phrase you sent through today, the, in a literal sense, nutrition is about biology in a practical sense. It's about psychology. And I was talking to um, my mentor, Jordan Larkin, we were talking about him just before and like how he describes his coaching and stuff and how PN does the coaching and everything like that what we tend to do is try and really simplify stuff and like how Greg just said then all the social media and all the stupid stuff that pops up and do these five things to increase your toe size. Um, all that stuff just makes it harder for us because they want these crazy, stupid, ridiculously hard plans with all the bells and whistles. And literally it's not even doesn't, and it's not meant to be hard and it's not hard. Well, it's, it is hard. It's just simple. It's simple. But I mean, change is hard. That's that's where the difficulty comes in because, you know, unfortunately, um, not everybody wants to change or is ready 
ready to change or they're just scared of change because they've tried so many times and failed because they've tried the Michelle Bridges program or they've tried the the 28 day um, water fast or whatever the, <laughs> or the, the one that's you see floating around at the moment is the carnivore diet, which is yeah. um, Saw that the just other day. eating meat all the time, which um, I'm going to lie. I'd be pretty excited to do that. She said, you want to make sure your, your, your bank balance would have to be fairly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> because, you know, if you're just buying meat all the time, that's, that's it's going to become expensive. But you might have backed up for a while too. Oh, yeah, I mean, if, you're, if you're not, if you're not getting some Metamucil in there or some, um, you know, serious amounts of fiber, like, um, yeah, I think just a, an all meat diet. And I remember there was, there was a guy, one of these, guys who was on YouTube, I think, and he, he went and got it. He was on the one of the first guys that really promoted the carnivore diet and he went and got his blood taken. And then he, he went on a podcast and a guy was looking at his blood work and were, some of the some of the stats on there were quite um, concerning. Oh, yeah. They were trying to justify it by, you know, making up any old, old crap about it. But it's oh. like this guy was supposed to be super fit on, on the carnivore diet and he had some real issues uh, cholesterol wise, I think where, you know, before he went on this carnivore diet, his cholesterol was okay. And then after that, his cholesterol was in a very um, like bad position. And, you know, they were trying to come up with all kinds of crap reasons for it when, you know, it was staring you in the face because it was an unbalanced diet, you know, just consuming one kind of, macro in in you know extreme amounts um yeah i mean i mean but you know that's that that's the privilege we have in developed societies where we can pick and choose what food we want to eat and what we don't want to eat well yeah it's kind of on that like how we have so many options of what we want to do the thing that going back to the um, depression stuff, the thing that helps me the most is cutting things back to the bare minimum. So I call it just red lighting stuff. What's the basic basics I can do of everything to make my life easier. So even with food, I drop everything out to like um, three to five different types of protein, three to five different types of fat and three to five different types of veggies. And I just make my meals from that list. Yeah. I don't overthink. It's proven that the less choice you have, the, the easier it is to stick with something. We have choice fatigue. Like, yeah, the supermarket and even in the fruit and vegetable section, you know, it, there's a lot of choice in there. And people, uh, you know, when I had somebody say to me the other day, Oh, you don't eat apples because they're high GI. It's like, what? You know, the, the GI doesn't matter. I mean, I had a couple of blokes ask me about whether I should, whether they should be eating after 6 p.m. And I said, well, you know, if you know, eating a packet of biscuits after six PM is probably not such a great idea. But as long as the balance of your calorie intake over the day meets your energy requirements, it doesn't matter what time you eat. Your yeah. body doesn't care. Exactly. But, but if eating after six PM means that you overload on um, sugary treats, then yeah, maybe maybe you could have a look at that, but not in the way that most uh, most people are trying to sell it to you, that it's got something to do with insulin spikes or that somehow this intake of, of carbohydrate is somehow going to put five kilos of fat on you overnight. That's, you know, and these these idiots that 
that um, basically badmouth um, fruit. Like we should be scared of it. Like um, the guy that's taken over six pack shortcuts, I think from Mike Chang, um, he was, he was bad mouthing um, bananas because of the amount of sugar that's in a banana. But I mean, these idiots don't realize that that sugar is encased in fiber. It's encased in a lot of other things inside the, the, the fruit that you don't immediately eat bananas and you, your insulin just goes through the roof because of the digestive process. It takes, it takes time for that, that sugar to be, um, to be ingested into the body. And it's, it's not like eating spoonfuls of sugar where you, your blood insulin is just going to go through the roof instantly. And like it, it, it's, it's a gradual increase and then it, dro it drops off. It's just the fear mongering around, um, around food that's good for us is it's it's crazy because you know everybody's trying to sell something selling the new miracle the new solution and that's it just making know, things and, look sexy and the other thing is, is if you know from a depression point of view if you are trying to to help yourself and then you you've got this to try and deal with as well i mean i'm sure that's not going to bloody help if you you're trying to trying to help yourself um from that side of things and then you know you, you, you've got to try and deal with the stresses of oh you know is it, can i eat this apple without going into some kind of um biological apocalypse you know? that's it and like with the depression and, and with this food stuff is like you look for when you are in that hole you look for the quick wins very quickly like i was talking about to you guys before my thing that i still go to when i have a really really shit day is i want to go have pizza and whether i make it at home and make it inverted commas healthy and then make it um get it from crust whatever it is i still search for that thing nice, is that nice bit of product placement there yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here's the discount code, so, uh, Chris, Chris Forrest for a 10 dollar payment right there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, so, like in that hole, it's when you in a depressive hole. It's not like we're saying like exercise is going to be that quick fix for you. It's actually quite challenging to get that the feels from exercise and start pulling yourself out of that hole, which is a really important thing for people to understand. Like you might start try and do something. And it's, you find it quite hard because you're not getting that quick fix you get from certain foods or watching your favorite TV show. But the I mean, long-term effects end up being way, like, way, way better than what you get from the quick fix anyway. Yeah. It's just a gradual change, which is like with these new, all these shiny object syndrome diets and stuff, which is all like a massive crash diet or super hard extreme training program is trying to get you to get that thing really quick. A gradual change would probably be the better thing for you mentally coming out of that kind of stuff. But I think that's where, like, I know um, why, I like, you know, I'm not a runner, like, but I like the approach that Greg takes with, you know, starting slowly. Like, yeah, we don't have to be friggin' um, Olympic-style marathon runners to be able to achieve something, you know, that that whole slow, steady approach is like, it is the best way for most people, you know? Well, I mean, when you look at it, majority of people wouldn't take up running if they, well, the majority of people don't take up running, but the majority, <laughs> of, people, the majority of people that I deal with wouldn't if they just went out and did it their own way, purely and simply because they go too fast and it's all too hard. Yeah. Because uh, that, so, that, 
because probably where they're getting their information from as well is not applicable to where they're at. You know, but it's the, not, but they probably don't even get the information. It, it's ingrained in us as a kid that when you yeah. run, you run fast because we all have to beat each other. Yeah. And none of us are smart enough as adults to work out that, well, if I just slow it down and I drop my heart rate down a bit, I can go for a bit longer. And then as I gradually do that for a bit more, then I'm going to build my endurance base. And, hey, by the time I've done this for a few weeks, I'm running a couple of Ks. And the thing I try and... Um, like there's a, there's a bunch of guys that I'm uh, training during the week and they're all my age and older. And the thing that I try and um, try and explain to them is that the stuff that we're doing, like, especially with, you know, cause a lot of people don't like rest periods, you know, they're like, I've stopped, you know, I've just got to keep going. I've got to keep going. And it's like, if we're going to do something that involves repeat effort, I, I need to give you enough time to recover from the first effort so that you can do the repeat effort. It's not about just um, destroying you um, because it's somehow that's the way it should be done, or that it's some somehow beneficial for you. Like um, you know, it, there needs to be a recovery element in it as well. It's that you know you can only go to the well so many times before it runs dry. There was a good analogy I heard the other day was like thinking of changing habits you have like a pole in the middle and this is you there's a pole to your left and that is your so-called bad habits and there's a pole to your right which is your good habits and there's an elastic band attached around these poles and attached around you if you try and do that big jump to the good side you create so much tension from away from the bad habits it just slingshots you back down yeah. while taking that little step over time towards the good habits the band will the good band will drag you towards it and the more consistency you build up in whatever it is you're doing, which will like what you're saying, they're keeping that intensity low. Um, the more you show up and do the things that you know will help you get to where you want to be, the longer you'll be able to do it versus trying to do that big change, big like jump out, do a 5K run in like 20 minutes on your first go and then not do anything again for a week because you can't walk because your calves are all jacked up. <laughs> it's just sort of we're everyone's still wanting that really really quick thing when doing the gradual stuff which for me getting over the alcoholism and working through the depression and stuff every time I try to do something drastic I end up going back just as hard and every time I took my time to move out of it I made more progress and made new set points if that made sense like but a also, new benchmark to fall back to but also too that like, if you're going to do things quickly I mean, you're getting so far away from your starting point that when you do fall off, it's a long fall back because you've gone so far from that starting point. Whereas I think when you take it gradually, that if you do have, you know, you're derailed for a little bit, that fall is nowhere near as far. You know, you're still able to pick yourself up and still still go on whereas if you're trying to go really hard and fast you get away from that starting point so far that when you do derail it's a big derailment yeah you may you may take a long time to to actually start up again whereas when it's that slow gradual movement you know you're still not too far away so that if you do have you know a bump or a hiccup um it's you're more able to deal with it so, what what else did we? Um, what what was your other suggestion, Chris? 
Um, I would, was it, oh, it was about that, that quote that I came across on, on yeah. Facebook about, you know, that in literal terms, nutrition's about biology. And I mean, I know from my experience with, because that work, like, um, I'm not a nutritionist, but I'm the one that has the most interest in nutrition. So if anybody comes in and asks about it, I'm the one that gets all the questions. And um, a lot of the time it's about, you know, most blokes want to lose weight. They want to cut up. They want to shred and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, yes, it's it's kind of like mathematics. It's like, um, you know, if you, you have your calorie deficits and all that sort of stuff and, you know, you can lose body fat and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, that that's the the literal side of it, you know, the biology and all that sort of stuff. But, I mean, the, the, the practical psychology side of it is, you know, what what are you able to do? You know, there was a really good article that PN put out about uh, what are you willing to do to get to certain levels of body fat? I don't know if you've seen that one. And yeah. it talks about, you know, 25%, 20%, I think 15 10 and then single digits. Yep, that and was really good. That really lays out the kind of um, sacrifice that you're going to have to make. There was another really good quote I saw the other day, um, just not throwing quotes out there, but it was, <laughs> I can't remember who it was from, but it was, uh, there are no solutions, only trade-offs. Yeah. Which I thought was, was a really good way to look at it. Because anything that you do, that you, something's going to have to be impacted on for that to happen. Yep. And I think that's the, the, the other uh, really good um, form, I think, that PN uses is the ready, willing, and able quiz, which we used a lot at Virgin. It's like, where are you at the moment? What are you, what are you ready for? What are you willing to do? But also, realistically, what are you able to do? Yeah. And until you can decide on that, you're not going to get anywhere. So I used to drop that on people in week three. Yeah after they had their burst, which is when I've written about the habit hangover stuff. Yep. And that habit we talk about where you all, you're full of piss and vinegar in the first two weeks and nothing will get in your way. And then in week three, you remember you've got kids and a job <laughs> and, oh, all and, these a, and, and a life. Yeah. And all these I other mean, responsibilities that you got to do as well with this stuff. I mean, when I, when we went to Dubbo the other week, we'd, I didn't do it the smart way. I went to work for the whole day and then I went and taught a group fitness class and then finished at nine o'clock and, and piled into the car and, and drove overnight from, <laughs> from Melbourne to Dubbo. Um, and 800 Ks, everybody, in case you want to know. And like that, I'll admit that wasn't the smartest um, decision I've ever made in my life. I reckon there were a couple of times there where I was very close to having micro sleeps at the wheel, but you know, it was, um, I, I did it somehow, but you know, but by the time we'd got to, uh, the service, which was at 11 o'clock, um, I'd been up for, I don't know what that's, I think I'd have, I'd had half an hour sleep and you know, it was over 30 hours that I'd been awake and, um, yeah, man, did, did I feel like garbage? <laughs> like, um, uh, it, I'm surprised I was still able to speak, but um, yeah, that, but you know, sometimes they're the things that that you do. But you know, I did, I did, the last thing I was thinking about was exercise, or and you you want to um, 
talk about nutrition when you've been up for 30 hours. You eat whatever you want, you drink whatever you want because it's like it's you just you, you're kind of just existing or surviving. Yeah, you're like you're throwing a you run out of logs and you just keep throwing twigs on the fire to keep it yeah. going. This yeah. stuff is burning left, right, and center. You're like, I'm gonna die soon. I just need to keep feeding myself with anything I can see to keep myself awake. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you go into a, a servo when you filled your car up, you know. There's not too many good options as far as food goes in <laughs> at, you know, at 12.30 in the morning, you know, 12.30 a.m. But if you're hungry, like, um, you know, That connoisseur's cookies and cream, ice cream is looking pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, but I, I think that the, the other thing I've learned too is that um, you've just, you, you can't be so anal about, all that stuff either. Like I know like you were mentioning when you didn't have kids and all that sort of stuff. And I know Greg was mentioning it too, is that, you know, um, you can be a little bit more, um, you know, I guess, um, well, yeah, you can be a lot stricter because you're not impacting on anybody but yourself and maybe one other person. I mean, I've only got one. So, but I mean, with having four, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you do it, Greg. It's insane. Uh, it's called sleep deprivation. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy it in a jar. Yeah. It. <laughs> uh, it gets easier as they get older, but, you know, it's. Uh, I've found recently that, uh, you know, I love my children being all individual, but I don't love the fact that they all have different individual taste patterns. <laughs> Um, you know, you cook something up for dinner and one of them goes, well, I don't like mashed potato or I don't like chops or I don't like steak. And it's like, well, I, and I don't like this sort of pasta. And it's like, well, bad luck. <laughs> I'm not cooking five different meals. I guess it's good too. Cause like you sharing this stuff is normalizing it for people when they sort of see highlight reels, like we've always talked about on social media. And when real life kicks in and they're like, they might miss a workout or whatever, but they can't do as much as they thought they could. They could only do say five minutes instead of 30 minutes. You talking about it, Greg's awesome because it sort of normalizes it for people and shows like, yeah, you just got to do what you do with what you got and keep showing up kind of thing. Yeah. And that's one of the big things that I, I really highlight when I have a new running client come on board. It's like, I'll ask them what, how many times a week they think they can run not how many they want to run yeah, um, and what days. And then I'll formulate their program to say, if they say, all right, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I'll write their program for Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday for running and then fit their core and strength work and rest days in around that. But then I make the point to them that this is fluid and flexible. It's not rigid. So, you know, if you, for whatever reason, wake up and you don't feel well on Tuesday, you don't have to get in a tiz because you've missed your Tuesday run. Do it on Wednesday. You might go Wednesday, Friday, Sunday then. You know, but because so many people, if they get these generic um, programs that they get off the internet and it says Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and then, oh, my week's gone because I, I had an early meeting and I couldn't go out on Tuesday and I haven't done my Tuesday session. Um, it's got to be able to fit into your life, especially when you, you know, even if you haven't got kids and you, you've got a busy um, work life, you've got to be able to adapt. 
Well, I think it's like that, the whole thing where health and fitness doesn't have to be the number one priority, especially if you've got a family. 100%. So it's like family's my number one and then it's like relationships and then work and then health and fitness. Even though I still know I want to do it every day to boost the other three, the importance of trying to make sure I tick all the boxes and the stuff I do is it's the fourth thing, if that makes sense. So if I miss something, I want to make sure all the other stuff is still in alignment and not neglecting the other stuff. Because I'm like, I, I think you know, I, I try not to, I'm not trying to focus on getting better at health and fitness. It's like, like there's things, other things that like you said that, that are further up the list that I need to get better at because the health and fitness, well, um, you know, it does have a place. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's, it, that when, when you do have a family and you've got relationships and stuff like it gets further down, down the list because, um, you know, it's, it's got to be able to fit in, um, that health and fitness is like you were saying about the, the flexibility of the program. It's got to be able to fit in because if your life is trying to fit around it, it's just not going to work. Yeah. You know, if you're sacrificing um, important time with your family or stuff like that, just so you can get that extra run in, well, you know, um, it's not going to last long. You know, somebody's going to get pissed off with it or, um, you know, you, 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 those important things are going to suffer. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, with the Spartan train I'm doing now, I have to shift it to be... So my training week starts on a Saturday and Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, mainly because Saturday, Sunday, I'll do more stuff when Theo's asleep. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, he's in daycare and cats at work. So it doesn't affect anybody on those days. And I was trying to do stuff with him, like take him for pram runs and stuff on Thursday, Fridays. And he ended up just getting the shits with it. Funnily enough, I was fine. <laughs> he just didn't want to do it anymore. He just wanted to play at the parks and I was running past him like, no, 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 no. I got to keep running and get my zone. <laughs> he's got to harden up. You got to have a hard talk with him. <laughs> yeah. Get the blank stare back at him. <laughs> <laughs> Stop being such a baby. <laughs> yeah. And he'll just say, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, like I had to like being flexible with my training around Cats work and Theo's sleep to make sure it doesn't affect either of them because cat being at work all week, the last thing she'll want from on the weekends, like as much as she wants to spend time with Theo, she wants to spend time with me as well. And if I go off and do a five hour hike or something, it's just going to put a massive drain on the relationship in the long run. So I, I had to, I've been moving things around consistently since starting the Spartan training, even though I'm not doing anything right now. I've got heaps of time available right now. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. I uh, hope you got something out of this episode and share it around to spread the word that, like we said in the episode, um, depression isn't a weakness. It just happens. There's stuff that happens in your life you've got no control over. And go out and ask somebody if they're okay and what you can do to help them and everyone will be happier and the world will be a better place. Um, if you want to get more of what the CJ Rubric does, the Move Eat Re-Energize system, which is what I use to help 
manage my depression and make sure I stay on top of it, jump over to the website, cjrubric.com, download all the freebies that you can and read all the blogs and listen to the podcast and yeah, share us around, share the love and help get the word out. Thanks guys.